Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com or on your favorite podcast listening platform. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, co-founder of this podcast and today's host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is solving the biotech industry's talent crisis by organizing and providing access to worldwide life sciences expertise. You can check us out at clora.com. I'm excited to welcome Harlan Robbins, co-founder and chief scientific officer at Adaptive Technologies. Thanks for joining us today, Harlan. Thanks, Ro. Appreciate it. Great. So Harlan, to kick us off, would love if you could walk us through the arc of your career and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Did my doctorate degree in a very theoretical side of physics called string theory. But for a reason I'm still not 100% sure of today, one of the gurus in black holes during the latter end of my PhD was at Caltech was giving a seminar series on genetics, even though that's way out of sight of his normal field. But I got really excited about it. And we ended up talking and spent quite a bit of time together. And I went to Israel to do a postdoc in still in string theory. But after, I don't know, nine months or so, I said, you know what, I'm going to do a big career change. I really love the computational biology that I was really starting to learn while I was at the end of my time at Caltech. And so I applied for a uh, postdoctor at a place called the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton. And the reason I knew about that is it actually one of the best places in the world for string theory, but they also had just hired a group in computational biology. So I went there and fell in love and really dedicated the rest of my career to computational biology. And then after a few years there, I I took a faculty job in Seattle at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center. They had just formed a computational biology department. I I don't know. I guess I was on faculty there for a decade, but maybe a year after I got there, I started working on a technology that combined sequencing and immunology that got a lot of uptake. And so I decided with my brother to spin out a company called Adaptive Biotechnologies. And then, so I was at both Adaptive and at Fred Hutch for a long time. And then recently when we went public at Adaptive, I stepped down from Fred Hutch and now I'm the chief scientific officer at Adaptive. Great. And out of curiosity, had you and your brother worked together previously? No, not at all. He went to Wharton, got his MBA and was in all sorts of various fields, but he was running some real estate fund or something at the time. We were in quite disparate areas. He does the business side, I do the science. Yeah. And so Harlan, talk to us about the founding of Adaptive Biotechnologies, how you went around in the early days getting supporters, financing, and so on. As I said, my brother and I decided to do this in beginning of 2009. And so we spent the time writing the business plan in the first bit of 2009. And then starting in the summer of 2009, we went to raise money. First, we went to a friends and family rounds and extended, as you can imagine, (laughs) extended to as many people as we could find and ended up raising about four and a half million dollars. It was a hard time because you remember that the market was crashing and everything else. So we really had to scrounge to get it together. But that was the initial time. Okay. And I'm curious, you know, on the entrepreneurial side, you know, I'm sure there are lots of ups and downs as it related to the early days and those have evolved since then. How did you navigate those ups and downs for you emotionally being a co-founder of Adaptive? 
It's a struggle, I have to say. I mean, it's hard to describe the kind of yo-yo you go on, and I don't think there's any real way to avoid it. I mean, there's really high highs, but then there's lows. You know, there's days when you think the company's not going to make it. There's days when you think, you know, you'll never get to sleep. And then there's days where you're euphoric, where you're just sitting back going, I can't believe that we built this and that this is what we created. You know, I, I don't know if I have any particular insights in how to navigate it. I mean, I think rely on friends and family and try to give yourself a break at times. I don't think I took a vacation at all for the first five years of the company. So now I make it an active effort to make sure I take some breaks and get some time with OA, et cetera. Yeah. Mental health. Yeah. All right. Excellent. So let's switch gears a bit. And if you could educate us on some of the underlying principles at Adaptive Biotechnologies and just the adaptive immune system. Sure. I'll start with a bit of a primer on how I'm thinking about the adaptive immune system, and then we can move into specifically what adaptive does. So your adaptive immune system has the responsibility to protect you against the world of pathogens or aberrant cells like cancer, for example, that happen all the time and that are so broad and diverse that you can't make like a standing army against them new things are going to come up all the time. And your adaptive immune system has to do exactly that. It has to do adapt to be able to handle that diversity. And the only advantage that the immune system has is that almost all life forms have certain consistencies that they're made from amino acids and DNA or RNA. So the basic building blocks all look the same. So what the adaptive immune system does is this creates these receptors, these massively broad set of receptors that can form any possible shape. And the idea is that you just have them all over your floating all over your system. And when something comes in that binds tightly to one of those, your immune system says, hey, I just bound tightly to something that's not supposed to be here. Then it turns on your system to start attacking whatever that thing was. And interestingly, because your each cell only has and your DNA only contains 30,000 or so genes, how do you create this massive diversity of millions and millions of different receptor genes that to bind to all these different possibilities? And the way you do that is you actually rearrange the DNA kind of randomly in these small set of cells of your adaptive immune system. And each one forms a different receptor that then forms a clone. It's encoded in your DNA, but not in all cells the way you think of it, but only in cells of your adaptive immune system. And the idea there and why this is so powerful, well, first I should start by saying, as we're all, you know, everybody listening to this is presently alive, obviously, your body, which has been attacked by pathogens your entire life, cells have gone wonky and probably become what we call precancerous all the time. And your immune system has eliminated that threat the vast majority of the time. It's really good at it. And we think of people who get sick as a breakdown in the immune system, but that's the rare, rare, rare exception. So the point is, is that if we could just leverage the power of what the immune system could do and maybe modify it a little bit, we'd have this unbelievable ability to both detect and treat disease. And so that's really what we've focused on at Adaptive, which is that, and by the way, as I was saying, the receptors that bind to these different pathogens contain the information about what pathogens they're binding to. They're the targeting molecules that say, okay, I can go find all of the bad, whether it's viruses or bacteria, I can go find that bacteria or virus because I have the binder that sticks to them. Or I can bind specifically to cancer cells because I have the receptor that binds specifically those cancer cells. If we could just go from 
reading the DNA of those receptors, which contains all the information about what they bind to and interpret that information, we would be able to know exactly what your immune system is attacking at any given time. And that's really what we're leveraging at Adaptive. When I say that our initial technology was combining sequencing of DNA with immunology, we just focused high-throughput sequencing on this specific part of your genome that's only found in these immune cells. And so we sequence these receptors. And the back end, we have this whole platform to figure out what those receptors are doing. In other words, how do we take that information and determine what those receptors are binding to? If we could do that, then we would know exactly what your immune system's attacking. And that tells us a couple different things. One, it tells you what diseases you have, but it also tells us in certain cases what the immune system is targeting. So we know what the good places are to hit when we're creating a vaccine, or let's say we're trying to go after a autoimmune disease like multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis is your immune system attacking yourself. But if we knew exactly what it was attacking, now we'd know what targets were there to block so that we could prevent the immune system from attacking the cells in your brain that you need to create to protect your neurons. So that's really sort of the way that we're going after this. The other step is also these same molecules that the way they work by binding to and identifying disease there also can be used for targeting molecules for therapeutics. They can bring over with them if you just connect the right receptor to some payload, something that can do some damage when it gets there, it'll target your drug right to where it wants to go. And so this is another avenue. In fact, you know, when anybody says they have a when for biotech companies in general, a lot of what they're doing is what we call biologics. They're making the biggest selling drugs in the world are all antibodies, monoclonal antibodies right now. Those are B-cell receptors. Those are receptors of your adaptive immune system. We're not, I guess, creative enough to make good targeting molecules on our own synthetically. So we just co-op what the immune system's already doing. We've been doing that for 50 years. And Harlan, talk a little bit about where you are now from a development perspective and how large the company is and so on. Yeah. So we're in an 800 people person range. I'm not precisely sure on that, but somewhere in that neighborhood, 800, 850 people. And we have different parts to our company that are sort of in different stages. We have our big clinical product, which is for diagnosing blood cancers, which are cancers of your, these T and B cells that are the adaptive immune cells can become cancerous. So our same technology can be used for monitoring them. And that's a quite, for our stage, mature business. You know, in other words, we're reimbursed, I would say, in this area, we're the dominant player in the field and have been steadily growing that business, both clinically and with our pharma partners in that regard. And then the other part of our business is which we call our immune medicine business. We have some of it's much more in the R&D stage. We have a partnership with Genentech on personalized cancer therapy, where we're using these T-cell receptors we're identifying as targeting molecules. We're using those to specifically target cancer. And Genentech's creating the cell therapy. They're manufacturing the cells that those receptors go into. So they're creating the sort of payload that goes over and kills the cells that are being targeted. The cool part about that is that our technology is fast enough now that we can do this in what I'll call real time. So the strategy is to create a truly personalized cell therapy where each patient, we as adaptive, rapidly identify the receptors that are attacking that person's cancer in that patient. 
then we take that sequence, we synthesize that receptor, and then Genentech puts it into powerful T cells that then get put back into that patient. We're creating a bespoke therapy for every single patient because all cancer is different. We think this is going to be an optimal way to treat a very wide set of cancer patients. The other big area we're working on is in the autoimmune space where we're identifying what the immune system is specifically targeting so that we can develop therapies to block that target, as well as diagnose those diseases, which probably aware, you know, we, we don't have good blood-based diagnostics for things like multiple sclerosis. They just don't exist. Great. Very exciting partnerships. Would love to understand a bit more about the partnership that you have developed with Microsoft as well. Yeah. So Microsoft is you guys probably heard of them. They're a spectacular in the AI fields. And adaptive immune system, I think, makes up almost an ideal problem that can be attacked with AI. And the reason is, is that there's very hard questions, but they're not impossible questions. The size of anybody's T-cell repertoire, in other words, the number of different T-cell receptors that a person has is on the order of tens to 100 million. So it's finite but large. The amount that exists in the whole population is somewhere in the, I don't know, 16th power, something like that. Also huge, but not impossibly big. And adaptive it has high throughput technologies that can generate quite large training sets of the identify, you know, many millions of T cell receptors from any given person's blood. So we're set up in a good way where if we can apply the right technology, we should be able to really leverage the, the modern advances in AI to connect T cells to their antigens and be able to do target discovery as well as come out with diagnostics. The first one that hit the market during the pandemic, we created a T cell based diagnostic or COVID. It's the only T cell based diagnostic that's ever been approved by the FDA in any capacity. And this is something that people would have thought it was impossible, right? That you'd be able to just sequence someone's T cells from their blood and then pick out the ones that are specifically attacking SARS-CoV-2 and do it at an efficient rate and broad enough that we could literally tell the difference between who had or has had SARS-CoV-2 and who didn't, but it works almost perfectly. So it's been a great partnership. And so Harlan, is it fair to say that part of the organization is focused on diagnostics? The other one is focused on therapeutics? or therapeutics um, at least through partnerships? I think that's perfectly fair to say. And one part of our business, though, we do try to tie those together in a meaningful way. So the branch of the business called Clonaseq that I was talking about, where we're just doing residual disease testing for blood cancer patients, that's entirely diagnostics. On the immune medicine side, we're doing both diagnostics and therapeutics. But the way our system is set up by our system, our healthcare system, they're almost construction have to be separated, even though your human body, you don't separate those things. So T cell receptors, they take T cells, which kill like cancer cells or infected cells. And that same receptor that has to find the cells to kill and they kill them, right? So the human body doesn't really have that distinction between diagnosing disease and attacking the disease, but we artificially do because of our healthcare system. So we have to work within it to the extent that we want to have commercial success. And there's a number of diagnostic companies and medical device companies that want to play at the intersection of their area and developing therapeutics. And you guys obviously have some scale now. Walk us through what your mental model was in terms of here's what we need to do first, 
then that allows us to do this thing, second, third, and so on in terms of decision-making from the early days to where you are now. I would say, first off, that to be honest, when you're first starting out and you're not, I would say, have many, many years of experience in diagnostics, it's hard to appreciate how complicated and hard it is as a business. Probably it wouldn't be that hard if I had sat down and thought about any business where the person who's selling the entity and the person buying the entity is different than the person paying for the entity. You can imagine the dynamics are pretty weird, right? So the insurance companies are this odd man out of the, they're not the users of the technology and they're not the sellers of the technology. They're just randomly paying for it. So it's complicated. So from our point of view, you know, I would have initially said that we were going to venture into the lowest hanging fruit application clinically for our technology is this MRD technology for monitoring blood cancers. So that's where we started. And we thought that would be a great commercial venture to develop the muscle on the commercial side in addition to our uh, science side. And I would say that even though it's been by anybody who really understands diagnostics, it's been sort of a rousing success. It takes much longer and costs much more money than I would have ever had anticipated to start with. Fortunately, times were good in terms of the, I would say, investments over up until recently. So we were able to buy this idea that we could show growth on the commercial side combined with the idea that we're doing really interesting science and developing new products on the back end, even though the commercial side wasn't producing sufficient profits to fund the research side, we were able to fund it because people were excited about that combination. And now we're flipping to the point where we're actually starting to really ramp up the commercial scale. The initial dream of what we were trying to do in the first place is really the path we're walking, how we got there, and is probably different than I expected. So fair. And I think every entrepreneur will say something similar, I imagine. We looked over the initial business plan we wrote, and part of it was diagnostic for multiple sclerosis. It was in there, and we hadn't really worked on it for, I don't know, seven or eight years because we didn't really have the full technology and infrastructure to be able to do it. And now we're making real progress in that direction. So it's been really cool to see that in a lot of ways, we really are in the same vein of what we had initially started to. Yeah, so, yeah, that's great. Even though I forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a question about you know, how you work and your own evolution as a leader. So going from co-founding the company several years ago with you and your brother to now having you know 800 plus colleagues is obviously quite different. And I'm curious how you were able to figure out what your role is during each of the inflection points and take yourself out of certain things that you were perhaps otherwise previously involved in. When we started with six people, so you know, you're doing everything. If the garbage needs to be taken out, you take out the garbage, you know, it's just how that is, right? And you're sharing hotel rooms and whenever you need to travel, you know, your worries are in a different spot. But I would say that as you grow and evolve, there's some accordion aspects because well, I think the important thing to realize is that at sort of the broad picture level, being the scientific founder, I probably have a broader and deeper perspective on everything overall, but my expertise is always going to be limited. So at times when needed, you're like sort of a I would say a solid utility man for many different areas. And so there's been areas where I had to take on the role of full operations, where I was running operations of the company. I'm not a great operator, functional, I would say, for that period of time. And so you sort of have to do that as you go. And then, but you also have to be self aware enough to know 
hey, I'm not a great operator, so we better go get someone who knows how to operate. I think there's a lot of that. The hardest part for me is that there's so many of these different aspects that you need to, the thing that drives a lot of the real benefit I can give the company besides keeping the lights on as a utility player is what I'm really good at is on the science side and making sure that you save time for that. And I haven't been as great about that in certain stretches. So there's been periods where I have had that luxury and then other times when I haven't. But I need to make sure to save time for that, even in times of... Great insight. Thanks for sharing that, Harlan. Let's talk a little bit about the opportunity that diagnostics provide, whether it be in conjunction with drug development or whether it be through the lens of saving time in development. Just stuff to hear your perspective on a more macro level on the opportunity ahead of us. And I think it feels like, you know, we're just scratching the surface around recognizing the true potential of a number of diagnostics. So here's how you see the field. So as I was saying before, their diagnostics commercially is a challenging business. So if you're going to move in it, obviously there's been massive technological developments and that have allowed, I would say, quite rapid improvements in, I'll just call them biomarkers to start with before we get to diagnostics, just sort of our way of taking biological information and learning stuff about disease. Okay. We can do it faster and better in many different capacities. And I think the end goal, even things like what we use the immune system to diagnose disease for us, and your immune system knows about all your diseases. So as soon as we get really good at this, which is coming, it's not an unsolvable problem, we'll be able to diagnose the broader we in the field, almost any disease very rapidly. But having the fundamental technology and being able to weave that path to get a diagnostic out broadly to the world is very, very challenging. So the one thing that has been, I would say, the savior in a lot of ways is that if you can get a diagnostic or biomarker that has utility to pharma companies in the development of their drugs, especially if it can help them get approved, if you can be the evidence that they need to show the world their drug is working or to help them in any other way get these you know, massively profitable drugs onto market and through their trials, then you kind of avoid, the, at least to start with, this very, very challenging world of clinical diagnostics. And the big reason is that pharma, they send you a sample and basically they're buying your technology and they actually pay for it, right? That's the problem with clinical diagnostics is that you're the best diagnostic in the world that does something unbelievable. Even after you have gotten FDA approved and gone on market and created all your evidence, it's still three to five years to even get close to being really reimbursed, meaning that you'll get really paid for running that test. So if you think about that from the start to when you're reimbursed, you're talking a decade. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, Harlan, I've asked you to reflect on your journey a few times already, and I'd like to do it one last time. Knowing all that you now know and the journey that you've been on, what's one piece of advice you wish you could have provided your younger self? First, I probably would have told my younger self to take some more vacations in the beginning. <laughs> you know, take it that this is a much longer route. This is not a short ride. It's, you know, I would have never thought 13 years ago that we'd be in a lot of ways just the beginning, right? So you hold on and expect basically pack for the really long trip, not yeah. a short. So that would be number one. But that despite all of the ups and downs, it's going to be worth it and enjoy the highs because we tend to get stressed out about the things that are, you know, potentially catastrophic and we don't enjoy the wins as much. We don't take time to reflect and think, oh yeah, that was awesome. There was a great success. So it's not worth it if you can't enjoy the successes along the way. 
Yeah. Yeah, it certainly resonates. Well, Harlan, it was a pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks for sharing a bit about your background and all the exciting work that you and your colleagues are pursuing at Adaptive Biotechnologies. Well, thank you very much. It was great to be on. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi, and Alok Tai. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.